Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Even though you're listening to this on podcast and not on the air, you can still call our toll-free number 877-929-9673. And you can still send us email to words at waywardradio.org. And you can still find us online at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Martha, if you ever want to start a brawl in a bookstore... I always do, yes. You know, get a fight maybe at a librarian's convention Mm -hmm. or something, I've got the phrase for you. Okay. Here it is. Typing two spaces after a period is totally, completely, utterly, and inarguably wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Put him up. <laughs> <That's>, Step outside. <laughs> that's what Farhad Manju, writing for Slate magazine, did. And the internet exploded. At least our internet, the it language sure internet. did. Oh, my heavens. I had to take cover under my desk. So there's this one awful. camp that thinks that you should put two spaces after a period when you're writing something on a computer, right? Right. Or, me, right. me, 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 me. Okay. And there's the other camp that thinks you need one space after a period and two spaces is ridiculous. And that's my camp, right? Right. And the two sides can't really meet. And there's just all these crazy arguments. And most of them were good-natured, admittedly. Crazy arguments about why you need one space or why two spaces are one too many and so on and so forth. But the gist of Farhad's argument is that typographically, there's no good reason to have a space after period unless you're using a monospace font. And a monospace font is when each letter, even the tiniest ones, take mm-hmm. up the same amount of horizontal space as okay. the biggest letter. So okay. a period would take up as much horizontal space as, say, a capital W, okay. which is a pretty wide letter, right? Right. And he's got some other arguments and stuff about this. And even after he's made this bold statement about it being inarguably wrong, he mollifies the people who are in the two-space camp. But the other side of this, and this is your camp, My the people who, who use two spaces, they're like, well, gosh darn it, Mrs. Frobisher in the fifth grade <laughs> in my tapping class taught it me that way. And, and if it was good enough for Mrs. Frobisher, then it's good enough for me. <laughs> That is my argument, except it was Mrs. Barnado in ninth grade. FDSA. Oh, but Grant. Well, you know, I read that thing and I started thinking, I know that Mrs. Barnado taught us to do two spaces. But when I look at my copy, it looks like just one. Where? And I'm wondering if there's an autocorrect in Microsoft and Word There or might something. be. There's something really interesting happening. Most web browsers, when they see two spaces in the HTML pages that they're yeah. loading will make them into one. Oh, so is that even if happening? you look at the source code underneath, there'll be two spaces, but only one displays. So there's a kind of a normalizing there, which makes it seem normal to have one space after the period. Oh, so they're correcting me, so I don't have to correct myself. That's great. One of my favorite arguments for one space after period is Twitter, where every space counts, every character counts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that always feels like cheating. Well, once we settle this debate about whether or not you should use one space after period or two, why don't we talk about whether or not you should put your replies in email above the comment before or after the comment before. All right. We're going to be arm wrestling in a second here. But in the meantime, call us if you want to talk about language or punctuation or slang or word origins or grammar. The number is or you can always send those emails and feel free to put two spaces after those periods. I have a find and replace set up, so I'll just clean those up for you. (laughs) The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Dave calling from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Hello, Dave. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What's going on? Well, I've got a goofy question for you. Uh, Yeah, I was at my car mechanics a couple of weeks ago uh, waiting to pick up my car, and I heard a couple of the employees kind of getting into a bit of a discussion argument. Um, They they didn't realize I was there. It was getting a little uncomfortable, and at one point one of them told the other to shut their pie hole. (laughs) And I just about started laughing, and I, but it was, getting a little uncomfortable. I wasn't sure how serious the discussion argument was becoming, so I 
kind of cleared my throat and made myself known, and, and they, they slowed down and I left. But it just seemed like such a funny, uh, goofy expression, and I didn't think much of it until a couple of weeks later I was at a friend's house, and she used the expression, and I laughed and told her the whole story, and she said, oh, my parents used to use that all the time when we were kids. And So anyway, I thought I'd call in and... and uh, See if you knew it, the origins of the of the expression. Hmm, so shut your pie hole, and this was said with a lot of energy and anger. Oh, actually, the, the energy and anger was uh, seemed to be building, and actually, in uh, in the uh, interest of full disclosure, there was an adjective inserted into it. <laughs> but did, but did it? But was there an element of humor about it? Well, there's I couldn't really tell. Okay. I mean, it, there seemed to certainly on my end of things, but uh, I couldn't tell from them. <laughs> I love it. It's one of my favorites. Um, shut your pie hole. <laughs> to me, it's automatically funny. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. It's great. That sounds like a great yeah. argument stopper, you know, where everybody yeah. sort of makes yeah, up. How could you be serious? Right. Mm-hmm. How could you be serious after being told to yeah. shut your pie hole? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's your mouth. When you say shut your pie hole, you just mean your mouth. Right. Yeah, it, I assume. Yeah. It's, no, it yeah. is. It's the, it's the mouth. And it goes hand in hand with a lot of slangy synonyms that we have for the mouth. If you look in the Oxford Historical Thesaurus, you'll come up with a bunch of them. And there's some real gems there, and a lot of them have to do with food going into your mouth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have to do with traps, which is really interesting. Like, uh, There's potato trap, tater trap, and tatty trap. Yeah, tatty. I've seen bun trap. Bun trap, gingerbread huh. trap, and kissing trap, and fly trap, and rattle trap, and, of course, gin <laughs> trap, and plain old trap. You know, shut your trap, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And others, mooey, bazoo, mug, puss, yap. All of these things are slang for <laughs> wow. mouth. And bacon hole yeah. and cake hole. Well, cake hole is the older form and is the earlier form of pie hole. Cake hole oh. comes from about the 1940s. It probably came up in the slang of the British schoolboy, which is an abundant source of all slang in the world. Um, And it's recorded in the 1940s pretty quickly in American English, shows up in the Opies in their collection of folklore for kids in the schoolyard in the 1950s. Right, the couple called Opie. Yeah, yeah, the Opies, O-P-I-E, Ina and Peter Opie. They do these well-known collections of uh, the folklore of school children. And by the 1960s, it somehow had morphed in the United States from cake hole into pie hole. And it's, mm. pie hole is almost exclusively used in the United States now. It's really crazy stuff because why do we need all these words for mouth? I don't know. Maybe, and that's why I asked you about humor. Maybe there's some element there of needing to diffuse a difficult situation. And I really loved your story because it felt like there might have been some drama there that could have escalated into a fight. And by telling somebody to shut their pie hole... <laughs> It still might be funny enough and bring a little bit of humor to just to like knock a few degrees off the temperature of that argument. Kind of diffuse things. Yeah. I also think that it implies that your mouth is better used for eating than arguing with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something, yeah. Right? <laughs> just yeah. go back to eating pie. Yeah, exactly. Cork, Shutting yeah. stuff in. <laughs> Cork that sound machine with food. Yeah. That's great. Cool. Dave, thanks so much for well, your call. thank you. Um, we promise to never shut our pie holes with our words and language. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks All so right. much, Bye. Dave. Bye-bye. Bye. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or um, go to your keyboard pie hole. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> go to your keyboards and send us email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hello. This is Dawn from Richardson, Texas. Hello, Dawn. Welcome. Thank you. What can we do for you? Well, I have a question about a term that's used. I'm in Texas, and the term is podunk. Mm-hmm. Should I use it in a sentence? Oh, please. yes, please. Okay. Uh, well, you know my friend, she's from podunk, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So it means like backwoods or um, kind of a small town. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't know where it comes from, and I was really curious about that. Uh-huh. And why are you so curious about it? Because I say it, and I don't know where it comes from, and I don't want to... I don't, really don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> All the podunkians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's an interesting term. I've never seen it written down. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think I love the way it sounds because mm-hmm. it sounds like what it is to me. Exactly. Right. And how how is it to you? It's uh, what kind of town is Podunk? Kind of small, quiet, kind of far away from you know a city. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know. I don't want to be insulting, so I'll stop there. <laughs> Just go a little backwoods, one yeah. whistle stop town with yeah. uh, the mayor, who's also the barber, the sheriff, and the trash collector, right? <laughs> there you go. That's right. Podunk has a long history in American English. It, it ultimately probably comes from an American Indian word, and uh, you can find early mentions of it in the 1600s. Yeah, it was the name of a tribe that uh, at the time lived around what is now Hartford uh, in Connecticut. And then it existed. People knew about the Podunk Indians. They moved on. Other things happened. And then it really came into its own as a term for a small town in 1846 when a columnist for a Buffalo newspaper wrote a series of newspaper columns about life in this small town of Podunk. And he didn't really say where this podunk was. And so, of course, these columns were reprinted in newspapers across the country. And immediately, podunk caught on is this generic term for some small city somewhere that's a little bucolic and a little square and not very cosmopolitan at all. And yeah. that was really the big launching point of it. So by 1943, it was permanently fixed into American English as this kind of catch-all term for it's kind of like the thingamajig of places you know (laughs) it's just the kind of random place name for when you speak generically about a place that might have certain characteristics oh i love that yeah it's cool right that it has such a long history and of course it's used in other english varieties too they use it now in the uk which i think is pretty funny oh really it's crossed over the atlantic it's one of those words that they're not going to complain too much about because it's got its purposes well don i hope that helps oh that does i just love that (laughs) now i'm going to use it even more yeah you know by the way it is safe. You're not going to offend okay. anyone. If you, <laughs> no, I mean, well, that's if, good. If you speak to the mayor of a small town somewhere in Texas and say that, um, thanks for welcoming to your little podunk, <laughs> he'll be offended. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, as long as you don't call a specific town a podunk, you'll right. be fine. The podunk American community isn't going to come after you. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the podunkians, though, they, they have a vigorous chamber of commerce. <laughs> you'll that's hear from great. them. <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks so much. Hey, Don, thank you. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs> cool stuff. What's your question about words and language? Got something on your mind, something you've always wanted to know? 877-929-9673 or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Sean O'Connor from Charlottesville, Virginia, wrote to tell us that when he was studying in Peru, he learned a great phrase, it's más perdido que un huevo duro en ceviche, which means more lost than a hard-boiled egg in ceviche. Just something (laughs) that's out of place. One of these things is not like the others. Right, right. Uh, Somebody who's lost or clueless. There's another expression like that in Spanish that's uh, sort of like a dog on a bocce ball court. (laughs) (laughs) Fish out of water, so to speak. Sort of, yeah. Send your idioms and your ideas about language to words at waywardradio.org or call us 877-929-WORD. Don't look now. There's a word quiz right behind us. Stay tuned for more of Away With Words. with words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. John, hello. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. How's Hi, John. Going? What's up, buddy? Hey, you know, once again, I- I'm here to proselytize. Okay. I'm here to spread the good word about cryptic crosswords. Oh, Yay! Yes. Hallelujah. I've told you, yes, I've told you before how I consider cryptics one of the gold standards of puzzling. So today's lesson is about cluing individual letters. For example, here's a question for you. What's the 4th of July? Oh, so that'd be Y. Y, that's right. Because it's You're the fourth, sure. letter, fourth letter of July. Oh. That's right. <laughs> Not only is it a U.S. holiday, it's the letter Y. The letter Y is the 4th of July. That's how cryptics work. If I gave you the clue 4th of July pub drink for the definition Ivy League school, what four-letter proper noun would you get? Oh, my gracious. 4th of July pub drink. For the definition Ivy League school. 
Yale? Yale. Very good. How is that a pub drink? Help me out. Well, Y plus ale. A white oh, ale. Oh, I see. Okay, very good. That's how cryptic clues work. They, they oh, give okay. you the, okay, the word in the form of wordplay, and then they give you a definition. Okay, that nets you good. Yale and Ivy League school. Very good. We're going to do a few more with 4th of July, okay? All the answers will be four-letter words today, all right? Okay. Here we go. 4th of July metal-bearing mineral for the definition time long ago. Your. Your. Uh, so Y plus or. Or is your. Very good. Long time long ago. Okay. Very good. Here's the next one. 4th of July everything for southern plural pronoun. Y'all. Y'all. Y plus y? all equals oh, y'all. Good. good. Here's the next one. Fourth of July sense organ for once around the sun. Oh, I was going to say nosy, but that's... Um, your bit? No. <laughs> year. Year. Year plus Years. Y. So it was year. Y? Very good. I get it Fourth now. of July, Y, sense organ, ear, right. year, once around the sun is a year. <laughs> Very good. Here's the next one. Fourth of July actress Thurman for the definition... Southwestern American Indian tribe. Oh, Yuma. So Yuma. Yuma plus Y is Yuma. Very good. How about 4th of July Director Lee for the definition Chinese masculine principle? Oh, so <laughs> Yang. Yang. So Yang Lee, the director of Incredible Hulk. Now, that's only one way to clue one letter. Uh-huh. I'm going to switch it up a bit on you now. So here we go. 1st of May help for a female domestic. Maid. Made, right. M-A-I-D. Want to ex- explain to everyone how you got that? <laughs> um, I threw a dart. No, um, M is the first, first of first May. First of May, right. And then assistance or help is help. aid. Right, mm-hmm. for a female domestic. Very good. Very good. Here's the next one. First of May finale for fix. Mend. Mend. Yeah. Yes, and mend. M. Good. Next one. First of May anger for swampy land. Meyer. Meyer. Nice. Nice Meyer plus M. Meyer. Very good. Mm. Now, this next one is a combo, so get ready, all right? Mm -hmm. First of May plus 4th of July for Mr. Patinkin. Whoa. Uh, Mandy. Mandy. First of May, (laughs) M plus and and 4th of July, Y for Mr. Patinkin. Mandy. Okay, now get ready to switch it up one more time. Ready? Yep. Okay. End of the road, snitch, for mild oath. Snitch, you, um, if you snitch on somebody, you tattle, drat, drat. Drat oh, is correct. Yeah, very good. Oh, very so good. Snitches, to, yeah. Here's the next one. End of the road, kill, for remove a hat. Doff? Off? Doff is Doff? right. Oh, so you yes. off somebody. Very good. Hmm. Yeah. I have one last switch up for you. This okay. is the last one. This one's tricky. Get ready. End of the road consumed for 4th of July. End of the road consumed. So consumed. Eaten. I would say eight. Eight. Date. It's a date. But what's the 4th of July is a date. Yeah. Oh, it's it? going. Very good. <laughs> nice. Fourth of July is not just a cryptic, <laughs> cryptic way to clue oh, why. It's actually also a date. Anyway, you guys were fantastic. Go get some cryptic crosswords and start. You're just you're you're ready to go. John, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. That's always fun. If you've got questions for us about language, grammar, and so forth, eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us email. We read everything to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Vicky Hurst. I'm calling you from Vista, California, which is in North County, San Diego. Yes, lovely Vista. Yes, lovely Vista. So what I wanted to talk to you about was the movie True Grit. Ah, the remake or the original or both? The remake. The remake, I bet. The the remake. I went to see it a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. and I noticed in the very beginning of the movie, the girl in the movie starts out talking really like with a very formal language and I, and at first i thought maybe it was kind of maybe it was bad acting it didn't seem mm. very realistic and then i noticed that all the characters were talking that way and about uh, i don't know about halfway through the movie i realized that they weren't using any contractions at all so is that really the way they talked in the wild wild west are contractions like a later invention of the English language? This question has been asked online many times and been answered many times in a lot of different ways. 
And some of this stuff sounds really great when these folks are answering. Like Alan Barra wrote something for the Daily Beast where he claims that this is historically accurate. And, and I say poppycock. I, I say malarkey. And I really? say baloney and much sterner words when the mic is off. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, here's the thing. People used contractions and been using contractions for hundreds of years. It is not historically accurate to portray the Wild West as a place that was contraction-free. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is not accurate. Now, that's I, here's the thing. The, the Coen brothers who made the film and a couple of the actors and uh, the lovely young actress, Haley Steinfeld, who I thought was fantastic. I think they've all been asked about this in a variety of interviews. And there are some various answers. The Coen brothers are quoted in Newsweek as saying it's historically accurate. Right. And I just must say to them that you need to do better field work if that's what you think. Because wow. you are patently, clearly, inarguably, unquestionably, totally, completely wrong with that, Coen brothers. You think jo- they're wrong? Yes. Joel, yeah, are you sure? Joel and Ethan, I don't know what kind of weirdo you hired to do your research, but there are people who can do it for you for free who know better. Read Mark Twain, for heaven's yes, sake. Yes, loaded oh, with contractions. Yeah. And, and yeah. every great work of literature is loaded with contractions. So and notice curious. I said great work. But there's a gigantic but here. Here's the thing. There are really good reasons that have nothing to do with historical accuracy that you might make a film with no contractions. Oh. Now think about this. You want to portray these people as different from us. You want to show that they're not modern, right? Mm -hmm. You need to separate their language from ours in some way so that we understand as viewers that they are very different from us. They're not just us without electricity and running water in mm-hmm. our homes, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be easy to look at them and say, well, by, by jolly, they're, they're just like us. They're not. And so you might do things to their language to push them a little further away from the modern day and to show that, that they think differently than us, they act differently, they have different backgrounds and patterns of behavior. And so you can clue viewers in by doing that with the contractions. And there are other ways you can change the vocabulary, you can change the cadence. It's a lot easier than trying to adjust their vowels to reflect the way vowels were pronounced a hundred and some odd years ago. Yeah, so you're saying it was an artistic decision rather than a well, historical one. And I think that's right. I mean, they don't sound like the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, they don't right. sound like modern people. Right. For me, when I watched that movie, it was like watching a foreign film almost. I yeah. mean, sometimes I wanted mm-hmm. subtitles because, uh, you know, sometimes they would mumble. But I think there's a transporting thing that happens when mm-hmm. you watch a foreign film. You have to pay particular attention to it. You can't get distracted by other things. To me, it was a kind of hyper-realism. Do you know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Right, right. right. It's a stylized account of history. Yeah. And now, a lot of credit, of course, has to go to the original book, True Grit, written by Charles Portis, which also doesn't feature all that many, if any, contractions. Right. And even further, and this may be the most important point here, the book is written from the point of view of the young girl writing as an older woman, talking Mm -hmm. about things that happened decades in the past. Mm -hmm. Vicky, she was probably writing from an educated point of view in which for for centuries, people who've been educated have been told to avoid contractions because it makes them look lazy, sloppy, and low class. And so there's that other element there. The, The author is doing things so that we understand that this story is filtered through a woman who has lived the life of complications. Uh, that she's, but she's overlaid that uh, some sophistication and erudition. And, yeah, yeah. At the end of the film, yeah, she looks yeah. really straight laced. Yeah, she, right. And she has this wild adventure in right. her youth. So, so, so that's, that's the other thing. Yeah. So, we can have many long conversations about it, but that's the that's kind of the short version of. It. There are a lot of reasons to do it, and ho- historical accuracy isn't one of them. Wow. Vicky, cool. thanks so much for calling. Well, thanks for the answer, you guys. Our pleasure. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. All righty. Bye bye. Some bit of language caught your ear? Give us a call, 1-877-929-9673, or you can send an email, with or without contractions, to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you doing? Doing well. Who's this? My name is Rakudzo. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Rakudzo? (laughs) Rakudzo? Yes, actually, yes. That's uh, Southern African. I'm from Zimbabwe. Yes, oh. and you pronounce it right. Yes. Oh, did I? I love it. Rakuza. Oh, yeah. It means respect, and I hope I'll show some respect on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so, too. Uh, what's on your mind? Well, I'm a student of uh, the Romantic period, and I love the King James 
English. Mm -hmm. Both my wife and I were trained in the British literature and all that. So we have one word that irks us a lot, and we're trying to find the origin of that word. And this word is irregardless. Oh, and yeah. I'm sure a lot of people actually really want to know if it's a word which we think it's not. So I don't know if you can help me with that. Irregardless. Uh, and does it make you want to run to the nearest blackboard and run your fingers down? Uh, <laughs> there you have it. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Where's the way we can ban this word? <laughs> Is there a way we can ban oh, it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you start banning words before you know it, you're banning punctuation, and then where will we be? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Irregardless. That is such yeah. a loaded word. Uh, it's a skunked word, right, Martha? It's it's yeah. probably the word that gets under more people's skin than anything else and, I can think of. And by a skunked word, we mean that this is a word that is so heavily debated and so disliked by so many people and yeah. yet so commonly uh -huh. used that if you can avoid it, you should. Uh -huh. Because oh, whether, yeah. whether or not it's a word has nothing to do with it. It's just that a lot of people that dislike this word. Yeah, I'm glad to hear there's a lot of us out there. <laughs> but on the other hand, it, uh -huh. is a, it is a word. Right, Martha? Ah. Well, you'll find it in just about every dictionary, right? Yeah. It's a word. It has meaning. You can spell it. You can say it. It fits, uh -huh. it fits grammatically and syntactically into English. But you don't have to like it, yeah, and you, I don't. Yeah, you don't have to like <laughs> wow. it, and you don't have to use it. So. Wow. Okay. Well, I can't say I'm too enthused to hear that, but uh, I guess we'll have to accept it then. Well, here's the thing about irregardless. The better choice is just the word regardless. Right. It's it's exactly. got one it's got one too many prefixes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Just, just uh -huh. leave off the IRR, or, I'm sorry, the IR and leave the regardless and you're fine. Irregardless does a job that it doesn't need to do. And it's been doing it for a very long time since at least the 1870s. And wow. it appears in scientific literature and in the speech and the writing of the most educated English speakers ever. But th that doesn't mean uh -huh. that you have to use it. Or like it. Or like it. So oh, okay. I, I don't like it. And you asked where it comes from. Apparently, it's just a blend of irrespective and regardless. Uh -huh. It's just sort of a, a lazy blend, I guess. Although... Well, I, I wouldn't say lazy. <laughs> it's a blend. At some point, the word became transmitted on its own. It's not like it's recoined. Right, right, so, right. So people pick it up from each other and don't think much about it. It does have meaning, and they use it for that meaning. But um, it, it's contradictory if you try to break it down because it, exactly. it, it looks like it should be the opposite of what it means, right? Exactly. The, That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. yeah. But English is not a logical language, as you well know. You don't think we can vote <laughs> it off the island? Oh, no, we cannot vote it out of the Lexus. It's, it's Maybe here we should try. try. Call us with your votes. <laughs> I'm with you, Martha. We can All right. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys, for having me on the show. Our pleasure. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> what gets under your skin? Anytime we talk about peeves on the show, the uh -oh. floodgates open. <laughs> 877-929-9673 or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Susan from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hi, Susan. Welcome. Hi, Susan. Hi, thanks. What can we do for you today? Well, I'm wondering about a, an expression that I use a lot, and that is, oh my goodness. I'm a very young 50-year-old, and I feel like, um, oh my goodness, is a phrase that expresses surprise or delight or even disbelief. And I also feel it may make me sound middle-aged. Not that that's a bad thing, but no. I just wondered, uh, what are younger people using to express delight or surprise now? Mm, so you'd like to adopt a new phrase? Yes. Okay. Oh, oh, you mean surprise and delight in a way that we can actually say on public radio? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, there, you know, OMG kind of works online. It doesn't really work aloud, right? You can't really right. say... I mean, people say it, but they say it in a winking, ironic way. And Yeah. Eh, eh. Some yeah. people say if they're kind of surprised, they might go, yoikes, like shaggy. But that's a little played as well. <laughs> yoikes. Well, Susan, do you have any ideas that you've been trying out? Test driving, maybe? Well, actually, no. Um, uh, I feel that oh my goodness, is such a versatile phrase that I just have been realizing I can use it um, in many different ways. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I could think of was in terms of texting, 
OMLG. OMLG? Yes. Have you heard that before? No, what's the L I stand haven't. for? It's Oh My Lady Gaga. Oh. <laughs> no, I know OMFG, which we can't, we can't elaborate oh. upon, but OMLG, I don't know. And, of course, there's the, like the versatile dude, which basically has followed up the F word's footsteps and now can occupy just about every place in English language. So if you're really surprised, you're going, dude! <laughs> but people like Susan and me, I mean, I can't, yeah, I can't, you can't imagine us saying, dude. Right. dude. <laughs> Isn't that the larger question, though? I mean, how are you going to sound yeah, it if really you're is, trying to... It really is the question. Um, it's, a, it's a fine line, isn't it? There's a story, a folk tale that's been told a million times in real different ways about a, um, a fakir or guru in India who was known for speaking every language in India. And he puts up gold and says, if you can figure out what my first language is, I will give you this gold. And he goes from village Mm -hmm. to village and you have to pay him a small price in order to play his game. And people guess all the different languages of India, which there are hundreds. And ultimately he gets caught because when he's sleeping, someone throws cold water on him and he leaps up and shouts, basically the equivalent of mama or oh my goodness in the first language that he learned from his mother. Uh. And I think for you, it's kind of the same story. You need to be natural. And the first thing that comes out of your mouth, even if it's my goodness, is what you should go with because it's you. It's part oh. of you. It's natural. It's impulsive. It's, it's really what you are about. Oh, okay. That's really good to hear. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, out of all the choices that you have, my goodness is polite and safe and comprehensible and friendly, and I don't think anybody's going to be bothered by it. Well, I guess that does express a lot of the, the things I am. I'm, you know, pretty genteel, so I guess it's a good phrase after all. Yeah. There we go. And, Perfect. And since it expresses so many different things, it fits in a lot. Yeah, it's sort of the Swiss Army knife of mm-hmm. exclamations. You could, you could, maybe you could try G. Willikers, though, just for once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> just on the weekend. <laughs> that would be great. Susan, well, thanks Su- for um, shedding that light on it. Uh, sure thanks, Susan. Our pleasure, Susan. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. We'll be back with more of your calls as Away With Words continues. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. More at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. There's something we might could talk about, Martha. We might could? Yeah, uh, multiple modals. Multiple modals. Do you know what a modal is? Um, that's what you put on pi when you... <laughs> oh, yeah, it's pi like out that. of modal. <laughs> Right? No? No, well, no. In English, a modal is something like might or should or could or, right? Yeah. These are words that kind of suggest um, the, the distance between possible and likely. Mm-hmm. To be a little more technical about it, they work with verbs and auxiliary verbs to help distinguish the mood of the mm-hmm. verb, right? Mm-hmm. And so we say, I might go to the store, which suggests the possibility but not the certainty that I might go to the store, right? Right. I should wear a sweater today is different than I might wear a sweater today, right? Correct. Well, in this country and frankly in the north of England and northern Ireland and parts of Scotland, they use two or more of these modals together. And this is really interesting. It's a common feature in American Southern speech. A lot of the places where we're on the air use this language. I know that we've received emails about this, and we hear it in our callers' voices, and it's wonderful to hear because it's so characteristic. So these are the folks, when I say something like, I thought y'all may would have some more of them. Whoa. It makes perfect sense. Right. I thought y'all may would have had some more of them means in a complicated way that there was a pretty good chance that this person thought there might be more of whatever it was they were looking for. May would have. Yeah. And those are called multiple modals. Mm -hmm. And the reason this is on my mind is because I went to the American Dialect Society Conference in Pittsburgh in January. And Michael Montgomery who is one of the editors of the Dictionary of Smoky Mountain English, brilliant Mm -hmm. man, is working on a new project. He's working with a fellow named Paul Reed, and they've made a database of all of these written uses 
of multiple modals. It is very distinctive Southern American speech. And so they've analyzed them and got you know, kind of geeky about it and you know, marked them They're up linguistically. Right? <laughs> They're linguists. Yeah, marked <laughs> them up linguistically. But it's really wonderful stuff. And I'll link to this so that you can see that this is, um, as they put it, this is grammatically correct English within that dialect. It's not wrong. Mm-hmm. It is perfectly grammatical because it makes sense and there are some rules there. But anyway, um, wonderful stuff. That's Michael Montgomery and Paul Reed at the University of South Carolina. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this probably in future shows. I know uh-huh. that we've had some questions about this, but um, it's just a great way to distinguish kind of one of the dialect regions of the United States. Want to talk about language? 877-929-9673 or email us words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, hi, this is Jamie McLaughlin. I'm calling from Jacksonville, Florida. Hi, hi Jamie. Jamie. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? All right. <laughs> um, listen, um, I heard you guys uh, talking about the origin of some interesting words on your radio show the other day, and uh, I got to thinking about a conversation that I had with my roommate one night um, concerning the word card. Mm-hmm. And we, we were talking about something, and I guess I was, I was trying to come off as being, being funny, and I said, yeah, I'm a real card. And um, I'm 36 years old, and he's 19 years old. And he he said, a card? And I said, yeah, you know, a card. And he said, I don't understand what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) He think he meant a credit card or what? (laughs) A debit card? Yeah, I mean, he was genuinely confused. (laughs) And uh, I said, you know, a card. You know, somebody that's, you know, the way I understand it, someone who's, you know, I guess quick-witted and funny, um, you know, with the jokes and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it kind of got me thinking. Um, I was wondering if it had something to do with possibly the card associated with, say, um, a boxing fight or maybe even going as far back um, to, to, like, vaudeville. So someone who's maybe on a card for a show or something like that. I, I really just I have no idea where it comes from, and that's why I called the show. Very nice. Interesting theories. What do you think, Martha? I think they're good, colorful theories. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Colorful, huh? (laughs) Yeah. But do they hold water? Well, I think that we're not 100% sure about the origin of this, but we have a pretty good guess about it, and it's not nearly as fun as your ideas. (laughs) You are a card. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, apparently it just goes back to the whole idea of playing cards. Oh, I see. Because we've had so many other terms come from playing cards, mm-hmm. right? A house of cards, or if you play your cards right. Having or a full you, deck. Right. You play this or that card. That, yeah, having <laughs> not playing with a full deck, mm-hmm. which can also be somebody who's a card. And for a while there, Jamie, there were um, uses of card that were more metaphorical, like a sure card. It was a sure bet or a wild card went from being something in right. a game mm-hmm. to to just, you know. To programming terminology. <laughs> to programming terminology. What? Oh, yeah. oh you mean yeah. like asterisks? Yeah, or, computer yeah. programming, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then just generally in life, a wild card. So is. a sure card, if somebody's a sure card, it means that they're kind of a known value and they're guaranteed to do or be the thing that you want them yeah, to do to or be, be right? Yeah, to be a success. Uh, yeah. And it appears that that habit of adding an adjective to card to create some kind of metaphorical idea just sort of fell away oh, at some I point. See. Isn't that so, boring? That's so, so boring compared sure to a boxing card match. To um, an old card or a good card. Yeah, so or like, a knowing card. So card Somebody just came to refer card. to a person, right? Yeah. And it became point, so ubiquitous that they just dropped the preceding adjective altogether. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yes. And I see here, I'm looking, it says something about eccentricity or peculiarity, and that's probably the starting point of the card being a funny person. Right, right. Because right. these days, if you're a card, you're pretty much just somebody who's hilarious, right? Yeah, I think there was sort of a transitional period of it being sort of an original. Mm. You know, he's a card. He's one of a kind. Mm -hmm. There's nobody as... And then it became there's nobody as funny as he is or nobody as hilarious as he is. And now that's all we have left. Right. So it's not nearly as picturesque as what you're suggesting, Jamie. You must be a card. Well, I definitely never would have figured that out if I hadn't called the show, and it definitely answers the the question for me. So thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Jamie. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So the kids say one thing and the old people say another and they've got to meet in the middle. Call us to find out how to do that, 877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. (laughs) 
Somebody going by the name of Chivalry, which means gray hair, mm-hmm. emailed us with another one of the What Would You Serve jokes. Okay, let's hear it. What would you serve a lawyer coming to dinner? A lawyer coming to dinner. Um, tort. Tort. <laughs> tort. <laughs> Send us your What Would You Serve to words at waywardradio.org or give us a call, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Megan from Boonville, New York. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you today? Well, I had a question about a phrase somebody asked me when I was at work one night. Mm-hmm. Um, this gentleman came up to me. He was an older gentleman in his 70s or so. And it was at nighttime, and he asked me if I was going to be tripping the light fantastic. Hmm. And I had never heard that phrase before, so I looked at him, you know, like he was crazy. And I said I didn't know what that meant. So he said basically that it meant, tri- uh, like, painting the town red or whatever. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it means um, to to dance, dance the night okay. away, that kind Very of good. thing. Mm-hmm. But this phrase has to do with the fact that the word trip can mean more than just stumble. You know, you think of trip and, and, and walking along and stumbling, but a much older sense of the word was to dance and to dance really well, to dance nimbly. And oh. back in the 1640s, the poet John Milton wrote a poem that was encouraging someone to dance, and it goes, Come and trip it as you go on the light fantastic toe. And the light there means lightweight or light-footed, and fantastic means extravagantly wonderful, like the thing that you would only see in a fantasy. Mm -hmm. So trip the light fantastic toe. And then that got adapted in different versions over the years. And do you know the song that goes east side, west side, all around the town? No. Okay. Well, (laughs) you made me sing, Megan. I hate when that happens. (laughs) That song was called The Sidewalks of New York. And there was a line in there about tripping the light fantastic again. And so that's probably why it appeals to older people and and is more in the vocabulary. Because that song was really big in the late 1800s. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It was about we trip the light fantastic on the sidewalks of New York. So it it does have to do with dancing. And it goes all the way back to John Milton and an older song. Sense of the word trip meaning to dance, and then there was the Procol Harum song, yeah. and then right the nineteen sixties. Yeah, do you remember that one, Megan? Uh, no. <laughs> well, Grant can sing that I'm one for you. <laughs> but they change it and they say skipped the light fandango, which right. is a kind of dance, and and so the phrase continues to morph and and change and become something new in English. Yeah, so you haven't heard that one either, huh? No, well, I was born in 1984, so... I see. Well, they do have oldies radio, so... (laughs) (laughs) So, Megan, what do you say if you want to talk about uh, dancing the night away, or you had a great time... Tripping the light fantastic. Yes! All right, very good. I'm glad you're adopting that one. (laughs) All right, thanks so much for calling. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. 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 Have a question about language? Call us, 877-929-9673, or send those emails to words at waywordradio.org. Here's a great piece of German slang that's making the rounds, Nivolimbo. Never heard that one. No? It means a limbo of standards, and it's spelled N-I-V-E-A-U, limbo. Mm-hmm. And Deutsche Welle reports that Nivolimbo connotes the ever-worsening quality of TV programs, the atmosphere at a party that thins out before midnight, or a conversation that quickly hits the gutter when alcohol is involved. So the limbo level drops. Yeah. Or is raised? Is that... No, it's it's a lowering of standards. Uh, okay. It's when everything just goes to pot. <laughs> Nivolimbo. I think that, that word should be adopted into uh, corporate America, don't you think? I do indeed. Call us with your new slang, whatever the language, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org, and find us on Twitter under the username wayward. Hello, you have a way with words. Thank you for taking my call. My name is David. I'm actually calling you from Tijuana, Mexico. Hello, David. Welcome. Hi, David. 
Well, I, ha- I have a little story and a question, okay? And when I immigrated into the United States about 30 years ago or so, when I used to, I, I moved in to uh, Woodland Park, Colorado, which, uh, with my then wife. And when we got there, we used to go to the supermarket, and I used to say, hey, let's get three livers to this, or let's get three livers to that, or things of that thing. And one time she asked me, why do you call them livers? And I said, well, it's what it says there, LBS. <laughs> and, 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 and she goes, no, those, those pounds. And, and at some point I was like, what do you mean pounds? It says LBS. What does it have to do with pounds? And she really didn't know why. And, and I have asked, believe me, in 30 years, I don't know how many thousands of people have asked, what is LBS, why does it have to do with pounds? And to my <laughs> surprise, nobody knows. And maybe one or two people have said it's something to do with the Greeks or something to do with Latin, mm-hmm. but nobody really knows. And I'm sure there's a lot of re- listeners right now going, I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Time that I asked somebody, <laughs> they never thought about it. Well, ears are... White per- LBS is- you're definitely not alone. Lots of ears are perked up. People want to know. And I know somebody who knows the answer to this, and I'm looking at her now. Well, David, let me ask you, how do you say pound in Spanish? Well, sería libras. Libras. Ah. So is that why you're saying libras? I don't know why. I, said, well, I remember when I was in a supermarket, and I remember looking at LVS, and it just stuck on me calling livers. Okay. And, and I don't think it had nothing to do with livers. It's just that I was reading LBS, and my common sense thing is livers. Right. And I'm a, common, I'm a pretty much common sense kind of guy, so. <laughs> okay, well, David, I can give you a common sense answer, and here it is. The Latin word libra is the source of both the Spanish word for pound, libra, and the source of that abbreviation. You know how the astrological sign Libra looks like scales that you would weigh something on? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It's all from the same root. And so Libra had to do with weighing in ancient mm-hmm. Rome. It came down to Spanish as Libra. And there's just a little hint of it left in that English abbreviation, LB. So we use a Latin abbreviation for an English word. Yes. Ah, yes. And the English word pound comes from an, a longer Latin expression, mm-hmm. libra pondo, which means a pound by weight. But okay. um, but maybe that's why you're thinking of it, because of the Spanish word. But it's a completely forgivable mistake. Oh, as, as absolutely. Somebody, it was, English wasn't your native language, right? And you, no, it isn't. Yeah, you were working with whatever you had on hand and making the best of it, and you made yourself understood, and, and now you fixed it, and you're good to go. Well, David, thank you so much for calling us today. This is, uh, this is a great question, and um, I hope you'll call us again when you've got something else on your mind, all right? Great. Thank you for answering all the right. final year question. Right. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Language is interesting. Somebody should do a show yeah. about words and language, and their phone number should be 877-929-9673, and their email address should be words at waywardradio.org. Don't you think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a call. Write us a letter. Let us know what's on your mind. Before we go today, I want to share with you a poem that I really love. It's by Pablo Neruda, the great Chilean poet. And it's uh, from his uh, 100 Love Sonnets. This one is number 17. You're going to read the English translation or the original Spanish? Yeah, I'm going to read the English translation. Although, you know what, Grant? It is so beautiful that I think we should link to video and audio of people reading this poem in Spanish because it is just so beautiful in Spanish. But the English is pretty darn good, too. This is a translation by Mark Eisner. I don't love you as if you were a rose of salt, topaz, or arrow of carnations that propagate fire. I love you as one loves certain obscure things, secretly, between the shadow and the soul. I love you as the plant that doesn't bloom, but carries the light of those flowers hidden within itself. And thanks to your love, the tight aroma that arose from the earth lives dimly in my body. I love you without knowing how or when or from where. I love you directly without problems or pride. I love you like this because I don't know any other way to love, except in this form in which I am not, nor are you, so close that your hand upon my chest is mine, so close that your eyes close with my dreams." That's wonderful. Isn't that That's lovely? That's beautiful. There are lots of different translations of this. I didn't know you felt that this. way about me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a period in my life where I read Pablo Neruda uh, all the way through as best as I could. And yeah. 
and I think I need to do it again because I was young then and I hadn't experienced life. And poetry, I think, is for people who have lived. You're 100% correct about that. And and his work is timeless. And as I said, there are many different translations mm-hmm. online, and, and there are different ones that I like for different reasons. But uh, it's great just to listen to the Spanish, too. So we'll link to both of those on our website. And we'd love to hear your favorite poems. You can send us text or link to a video or a link to audio. Send us a small MP3 if you'd like. Send it to words at waywardradio.org. Or call us on the telephone. Read it. 877-929-9673. Things have come to a pretty pass. Our romance That's our show for this week. Don't forget, you can leave us a message even when we're not on the air. Call us at 877-929-9673 or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. And you can stay in touch with us all week on Facebook. Look for us there under Wayward Radio. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also chooses our music. And we've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit organization. The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Ta luego. You like potato, and I like patata. You like tomato, and I like tomato. Potato, patata, tomato. Tomato. Oh, let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must talk. Support for Away with Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. More at nu.edu. Hey there, podcast listeners. Just want to let you know that although we give you the show free and we give it free to stations, it does cost something to send these episodes out to hundreds of thousands of listeners across the planet. Help support our educational mission by going to the website and clicking the donate link. Ten bucks? A little more? How about as much as you think it's worth? Thanks in any case for helping us keep shop.